This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. It's that time of week again. Another episode of the Three Wise Monkeys podcast is here. My name's Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com. And as always, I am joined by my good friends, Claude Walker from Ethical Equities. It's been a long day. And Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Hey, thanks, Andrew. Happy to be here. Guys, um, you know what? I think we had a really good idea last week was let's just limit the conversation to two companies. We <laughs> yeah. might actually come in under an hour, which would yeah. be great. So Matt, what are those two companies that we're going to talk about? The two about? companies we're going to talk about today. The first one is Nanosonics, a company that the, the two gentlemen uh, sitting beside me own, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I do own shares. They do own shares. So we'll talk about that one. And then the next one is one that's been requested by listeners, a very hot um, stock, uh, which is Afterpay. So yeah, very interesting kind of battleground stock. We know smart people on both sides of that one. So yeah, keep that is about a it. really really interesting company. But Nanosonics is the one we're going to kick off here today. As we always say, uh, as Matt's just indicated, in fact, um, both Claude and I are shareholders. We're talking our book here, so please treat what we say with a high degree of skepticism and do your best to, I guess, view the other side of that uh, thesis because we could well be wrong. And always in fact, a good call. If you think we are wrong, we'd we'd love you to jump on the straw man. Well, I'd love you to jump on a straw man <laughs> and tell me exactly why you think I'm wrong. Uh, but let's start at the beginning, Mr. Walker. What on earth does Nanosonics do? Pretty cool company name, right? Oh, thanks for the uh, great question. Uh, <laughs> it was a good question. Uh, uh, good. So Nanosonics uh, makes a device called the Trophon EPR. Uh, this Another cool name. Is designed to solve an uh, age-old problem in hospitals, which is... Uh, the cross-infection of different patients. In particular, uh, the issue that they're looking at is uh, the use of ultrasound probes. Uh, if you're using uh, internal examinations of uh, with ul- ultrasound probes, you're obviously getting a lot of bacteria on those probes, even if you do some sort of basic precautions, like, for example, uh, they have these sort of plastic sheaths you can put on them. Um, but... A whole range of studies found that there would be lots of different bacteria even after these uh, ultrasound probes were supposedly clean. Among other things, this would lead to the transmission of uh, HPV virus between women through hospitals. But there's a whole range of hospital-acquired infections you can get through ultrasound probes and the main way that we sterilize them is not as effective as the nanonebulant particles that the Trophon EPR uses. These guys know how to name things. I was right? just going to say nanonebulant. I love it. Um, yeah, so this is the highest standard of uh, sterilization that you can achieve with these things. These devices, I just add a little bit more to that. They're very sensitive expensive uh, devices so you know you can't just chuck them in a kiln wait what <laughs> in a kiln. i've been putting my that ultrasound be... devices in the kiln all my life um, now I you clean tell everything me I in my kiln these young people i'm gonna edit that part out what you can't edit that out i'm editing that keeping out. it in no i forgot my microbiology <laughs> 
You can't just throw it into an autoclave, uh, which is a high pressure, high temperature environment. You can, as you say, they can wipe it down with some various uh, chemicals and that. That is very dangerous. There's a lot of human error involved. So this is regarded as the highest standard. So not only is it there a good you know, health reasons to do these kind of stuff, but there's a lot of legal reasons as well. Hospital administrators aren't exactly so thrilled with the idea of you know their hospital or institution being responsible for transmitting any kind of nasty disease. So just to clarify, what do these guys actually sell? It's, so they actually sell so, a, a unit yeah. called the Trophon. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it's like a little mini bar fridge, I suppose. Okay. So about that like size, a little bit smaller, and yeah. you, you kind of you hang you hang the uh, the probe in that. You press a button. Uh, it takes seven minutes, and it sterilizes it to a very very high degree. And so the technology that it uses here is basically something that makes nanoparticles of the same disinfectant that you would otherwise use. But this disinfectant is supplied through little canisters that fit into the machine, and they are the main consumable product. Ooh, and that is where the interest lies, because once they've sold these units, the customers need to keep on buying the consumable products. Now, there are a few other kinds of consumable products uh, associated with documentation, so that uh, it makes it easier for hospitals to have the systems in place to check that all of the probes have been uh, sterilized. But the main one is just this sort of uh, solution that goes into the machine and then gets nanonebulized. Uh, nanonebulized. Nanonebulization, almost complete. <laughs> breaking up it. the chemical into those sort of nanoparticles then just basically allows it to be so much more effective. So it is quite smart. There is some innovation in there as well, which is also what I like to see when I invest in a company. Yeah, Very so nice. it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good product. It's doing a lot of good. But the, the important thing for investors, I suppose, is is anyone buying the damn thing? And the short answer is yes. These guys have a global installed base of almost eight, in fact, probably by now as I speak, more than 18,000 units global globally, a whole bunch of those, in fact, the majority of those in the United States. And interestingly enough, they've barely touched on the available market opportunity. Just think of the number of ultrasound uh, procedures that are done around the world. The vast majority of them are not using this device. There's well, I wouldn't quite say barely touched on. They've got a significant portion of the US market. Which They've is got 39% of the North American market. Yeah, so that's more than barely touched. 15% of the global market, my friend. 2% of Europe and Middle East. 39%. And 3 that's like a two-finger slap. That's like... That's a touch, you know, a firm touch. Well, look, I, I haven't think, heard that think, expression before. I think Is that agree. an Australian expression? <laughs> no, I, like it. I made it up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so so a very very a very uh, big installed base, and that yep. installed base has been growing incredibly incredibly strongly as well. And uh, no surprise, uh, you will actually see the uh, the revenues and the financials of the business also performing very well too. Can I just touch on why we like this business model? So I think you you mentioned the consumables, but to me, I guess. I guess the reason to kind of unpack that is the razor and blade model, isn't it? So you go to buy a Gillette razor exactly. and you think, wow, this razor is so cheap. It only costs a couple of dollars. And you're like, oh, that's great. But then they lock you into the, the you, I mean, the I paid 20 bucks the yeah, other day <laughs> for like four blades. Yeah. So they, I mean, they, each blade had 12 blades on it, to be fair, but 100%. still. It's like printers, right? They, yep. The printer is almost free. Like they basically give it away. And then the printer cartridges, like the, the ink of a printer cartridge is worth more than like gold or whatever else. And, right? and they can do it too because you're kind of locked in. What you're else? In. As Claude said, there's no other sort of um, capsule that's going to fit here. So they control this and they obviously charge very, very high margins on that as well. Um, one thing I should mention on this as well, which is very interesting, a little bit of um, a growth driver. 
Previously in North America, they had a distribution agreement with GE, and mm. GE would sort of sell the units and also sell the uh, the consumables as well. Starting from next year, it's actually going to be Nanosonics that's going to directly supply that. So they're going to get a much bigger margin. This is, they're cutting out a bit of a middleman there as well, which is going to be a very, very nice kick to earnings as well. So it's done all of that kind of stuff, Claude. And... Um, I think the other thing, just while we're on the financials quickly, we have to mention, which is always a very appealing characteristic for, to my mind as well, is that the balance sheet is super strong. They've got just shy of 70 million US, oh, sorry, Australian dollars uh, on the balance sheet, zero debt. So this is an extraordinary cash pile. And I think, look, it's, you've always got to take this with a grain of salt, but I think it's not unreasonable to say that this business is about as close as it comes to recession proof. The number of um, uh, disinfection cycles that are done around the world aren't necessarily going to be that sensitive to economic conditions. Moreover, um, because of that very vast um, geographic diversity as well, if Australia gets into a bit of trouble, there's North America and vice versa, et cetera. So that's, that's, that's another um, very nice thing as well. All right, well, Anything well, else well let me get to, an, to this uh, a word in edgeways. Uh, the... That's the Sorry, good, that's a good it's over boring. No, no, I, we know you love the company, and and if I recall correctly, do you still have some superannuation invest in it? I got uh, direct and super. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so I think it was a good one um, for for because it was an ASX two hundred stock. You could actually buy shares through I've got your Australian super, super yeah, account, so yeah. I'm restricted to the and ASX three hundred. And when did you actually buy shares in that in that company? Uh, originally ninety cents personally, but I but the super account was two thirty. I want to say. Yeah. So you've definitely done better out of it than I have. But talking about the more important numbers, like you've given us great broad brushstrokes of why you're excited about it. Oh, you've I can go it. on. Yeah, friend. I know. Well, you, well, <laughs> oh, we will go, go back on. to you. Don't worry. But I just want to like zoom in in the in onto the numbers a little closer. When you recently wrote up the results for Ethical Equities, thank you for that. Pleasure. You estimated that it looks like each unit, each Trophon unit probably genera- generates about 2.2K a year. US. US mm-hmm. in um, sort of consumable sales. I, I, they, they, they used to actually um, disclose that. They, they don't anymore. I think it is a little bit higher. So let's call it 2,500. Okay, well, I'm going to go with 2.2 for now, sure. but there's upside there. We'll sure. note it. And also, yes, they've always made it not too easy to figure that out. Mm-hmm. We've had to do a bit of detective work in the in the past, I know, to, to get a good... Ballpark figure. But I think it probably changes and, and different from over time, obviously. Um, it also is distorted by the fact that they're changing the way that they're selling. Their, oh, yes. And, and so this is a big part of the story as well. The share price has come down a bit. The revenue growth has slowed in part because... They're increasingly selling their units on, I guess, more either a rental model or a sort of model whereby they don't get the big capital sale as much, but they get a higher amount for the consumables. Subscription model, basically. They yeah, call so it an NES. More like they're equipment. giving away the actual razor, but then they're selling the blades for even more. And over the lifetime, so these things tend to last five to seven years, over the lifetime, it ends up generating the same amount of cash. It's just spread out further. Yeah, actually, if I recall correctly in a conference call i was under the impression that actually it generates more cash this uh way. you're right a little bit more yep but so anyway run rating at the moment you said about eighteen thousand units yep. if we use the 2.2 number that gets us to about uh 40 uh, 40 million or so on what you could sort of call recurring high margin recurring sales yep. now what we do know is that those sales will become even more high margin once the GE distribution deal flips over, yep. yeah. Yep. So that's gonna that's gonna boost the profit. It's already profitable, um, 
based on like the last five halves, it's made a small profit. Yep. It hasn't been going up regularly. It's a profit before tax. Mm-hmm. And it, it's when do you think we're going to start really... When, when can we expect to start really seeing profits here? Because the company has made no bones about the fact that it's focused on growth. It's spending more and more on, on new product developments. We don't know how they're going to go. Yep. We don't even really know what those new products are. We've just got a few yep. hints. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trophon 2 is coming out. That should help in the short term. It could be... I think it's resor- actually been released already. Yeah, it is. It's starting it to is. be rolled out. Yep. So it might be... There might be some issues in the first half related to changing over. But yep. then by the second half of 2019, would do you think it's fair to say we expect to see a pretty strong profit result by then? And then we're going to go into the... That's when in the first half of 2020 is mm. the first half where we get the new GE deal. Yep. Um. Is it fair to say financial year twenty? Yeah, yeah, twenty. Yep. So is it fair to say in that half, which will be, I guess, the second half of twenty nineteen mm. calendar, mm. that should be a really profitable half. I think so. I think so. And, and it's one of these things. I, I, to be honest with you, Claude, I don't really. I'm not big on sort of going half on half or a year. Or so I think obviously you've got to have a, a view on that. But I, I tend to. I, I've actually approached this in a fairly uh, broad way. Um, so. The other part of what you mentioned there, the, the consumables part, which is great. They also um, do a capital sale on the on the device itself in North America. Uh, that varies anywhere between eight. They don't again disclose it exactly, but I think it's between eight and ten thousand dollars US. They've been selling about three and a half thousand units per year. They've guided that that's basically going to be the same. So he, here's how I've done it. I've just thumb sucked this and say, let's just say that they continue to sell about the same amount of units for the next few years, right? I'm starting to get a feel for why Matt doesn't own it now. <laughs> like, when Andrew's like, I've just thumbed up like that and Matt's like just you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've got a spreadsheet with 12 decimal places. Um, uh, but I think, it, I think it really makes sense. So if, if you say that they're going to sell about 3,500 units, that's, that's more than 10,000 extra units in their fleet in another three years or so. Mm-hmm. So that means they're going to have 27,000, 28,000 units. You can multiply that by the average consumables. You're going to get about 90 million Australian dollars in consumables revenue right there. Um, you think it's probably reasonable to sort of say uh, 38, $40 million in capital sales. So you've got a business in three years will have a revenue, I think concern, this is not factoring in any new product sales um, or any too much of a margin uplift or anything like that kind of stuff. And by the way, falling Aussie dollar helps these guys as well. So this was a lot of this was modeled when the Aussie okay, dollar okay, was a little yep. bit so higher. Ham- give us the number. Cut to the chase, Andrew. <laughs> I actually, I, look, I, look, again, I, I don't get too specific of these. I think around sort of like the high twos, three dollars is what I we consider a very reasonable price. One of the big criticisms. Oh, that's like it's three dollars now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your point? <laughs> We're but, trying to. I thought you were really excited that yeah. it's going to go up. So you're saying it's fair, fairly valued? No, no, I'm, I'm saying it's, oh, a, saying I'm saying it's a phenomenal company. I'm saying it's a phenomenal company. I'm saying it's a conservative estimate. I think when you have a very, very strong company with a very, you know, good management team in place, long growth, where you don't, you don't want to overthink that, you know, and get too, too cocksure with your, with your intrinsic value calculation. I am playing this for the long term. So yeah, I put it in my super account. I expect to be a shareholder in Nanasonics, you know, barring any major blobs in another 10 years time so or so. what was your, you was leading up to saying what you thought the revenue would be in like three years or so? Yeah, I think what? it's I think it's not impossible to sort of have a, a business whose revenue is double what it is now. So what, what a lot of the criticisms will be, sort of, people will look at these, again, it's any criticism of a growth company is, oh, the PE is really high. And it's like, yeah. yes, it is, but the growth is extraordinarily strong. And you don't have to go out 20 years before it gets exciting. And the, the other thing that I tend to notice in these kinds of businesses as well is that 
when you've got some really good sales momentum, that tends to stick around for a little bit as well. I mean, it yeah. shows you that there's a legitimate market demand. And it, generally speaking, those sales get, as this becomes more the standard in the industry, I mean, the first sales are really, really hard. It gets a lot easier from there as well. So I don't think I'm baked in a lot of blue sky with all of this kind of stuff to get to, get to a reasonable price. Yeah. I guess um, I don't have any dispute with any of that. I think that what kept me away was that um, it's going to take a while, as Claude explained in quite um, good detail there, before that growth really ramps mm, yeah. as a result of that change. And to me, it was like, it's trading on about 15 times sales right now. Yeah. I think like based on analyst estimates, maybe 50 times 2020 earnings. Mm -hmm. So I just think, I'm, I'm hoping, I don't own shares. <laughs> like, wait, wait till we I'm start hoping, talking about after I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the market bitters on it so yeah. that it comes down like five times sales yeah. and um, I can oh, buy it. <laughs> Matt's hoping for a share price crash. And then, you know, you but that's both, not, that's not crazy both. for it to trade on five times sales. Like a lot of growing yeah. companies trade on that. Um, yeah. It's quite a nice place to buy. And then um, obviously then you get the ramp that comes in a bit later. So, but obviously it hasn't crashed. So I've, I haven't owned it for a while and it's gone up quite a bit since your last big buy. So very well done to you. So just, um, I don't just, want to do any victory yeah, laps. Just not, you know, look, I mean, that's been in a bull market and, you know, this, this thing can reverse tomorrow. You got up to 380 or something pretty crazy but as well. Before we do sort of move on, like it is an extremely high PE right now, but I don't think five times sales is going to be on the card because basically the company's operating at break even and has done for quite some time whilst investing a lot in future growth. There are a lot of Huge levers that it spend. could pull to make a bigger profit. The most obvious of those, which I do not think it will do, is to just take its spending on new products back to where it was a few years ago mm. and suddenly you know its PE would come down from 150 to 70 which is not they're spending yet. 10 million dollars a year on R&D um, even three years ago that was half of that amount what do you think about the competitors so uh, they don't have the whole market and some of them they're only yeah, modest share yeah it's it's a really good point I have not been able to find any competitor that looks threatening um, okay. And the the biggest the competition really is just the status quo, which is just the, the standard disinfection techniques. So it's not as though the, the, the drive is really coming again from the hospital administration level more than anything else. But mm. the clinicians love it as well because you chuck it in, you press a button, you walk away and you do something else as opposed to handling Set it, it and forget it. Set and forget. I mean, and I, also I, that stuff that someone had to put you know, their hands you're in disinfecting that things. chemicals. You're, you're playing with some pretty dangerous chemicals. And, do you have you know, experience disinfecting things? You seen, Is this from the science days Is yeah sort of we did to? well when you're doing microbiology you're, you're studying germs and so you know you <laughs> do, do a lot, a lot of, of that kind of stuff uh, you know um did you explain at, at a bar if, all the if a girl stuff. asked what you're doing did you say i study germs yeah uh, no i didn't because um, <laughs> i didn't think it would help my chance <laughs> no, but it's good move, out good that, move. Uh, i had no luck anyway <laughs> so i probably probably didn't make any difference <laughs> guys let's uh no 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 like so the one thing i wanted to say on this is that what i watch for with nanosonics is when there's a lot of people things are overvalued, but I actually think it has a lot of levers it can pull and come a certain time, as we said, this uh, first half of 2020, it will have a stronger profit result and it won't look so expensive. In the meantime, there's been a lot of short sellers targeting the stock now. It's not heavily shorted right now. It's about 8.5% shorted mm -hmm. and the share price is about $3. But if I saw that share price drop around to a more attractive valuation, say below 250 and at the same time, you see that short interest rising. Now, for those that may not know, short selling is where someone essentially borrows the shares, sells them, and then hopes to buy them back lower. But the more people you have doing this, 
the more people have to one day buy back shares. Mm -hmm. Now, typically, a good target for short sellers is a company that's going to go bankrupt. It's going to run out of money. It's going to go to zero. And it will really just hit the absolute skids. Mm -hmm. But Nanosonics has 70 million in the cash in cash it, it's got gross profits of 45 million of that 45 million brings in gross profits half of it goes on salaries um oh sorry i beg your pardon half of it goes on marketing and selling and then uh, a quarter of it almost goes on r&d that is something they can flex if they want they're actually increasing i don't think that. they should but yeah, no i neither yep. but they can like the, the, this company is not going to get distressed when it is operating at break even has tons of cash and um, is also spending a lot of that cash on the next big thing. Yeah. So the only way the share price can go down is sentiment and people losing hope as Matt was sort of... Which is always a for. precarious short thesis. As right? Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But it's going to turn at some point as mm. well. Like at some point, the mats of this world will say, oh, actually, I will buy it at five times sales. Mm. And then, you know, that's... Those... As oh, those people pile in, the shorts have nothing to gain. Back up the truck. And yeah. I worked very hard. I still cannot find a coherent short thesis. That It's like something real rot there. I, I still wonder if it's some sort of arbitrage or it's a hedge against something else. Yeah, so, I, I'm, I've, I've really searched for that bear thesis. I can't find a good one so my, other than valuation. One so of the if anyone's listening and they've got one, maybe, okay. maybe a message, up. huh? Hit so unlike up. Andrew, I would I have sold a little bit of Nanosonics when it reached quite high prices uh, late last uh, actually not that long ago um but certainly when it gets to what i consider you know an attractive valuation with a high level of short interest i'm definitely willing to buy again and and i would also be happy to do that i don't know if um we'll ever get five times sales but certainly there hey is man. a price yeah. you know mm. these times can come <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah look if it is at five times sales matt's not the only person that will be buying it <laughs> yeah. that way and and maybe maybe it Seven and a half or eight. I'll take a look. Yeah. Um, so, guys, I think that, that we we covered uh, that stock pretty well. Mm -hmm. Another stock which has a probably even bigger battle with with shorts and longs is Afterpay. Mm. So, Claude, do you want to give us a rundown on Afterpay? What it what it does? You're a millennial, aren't you, Claude? <laughs> I am indeed an adult under forty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, wait, is a millennial uh, under enough 40? of these slurs? Yeah. Millennials, uh, big man, it's a big group. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we're under forty. <laughs> um, Good for you. <laughs> Afterpay is like literally. It's just everybody knows anyway. It's just. I think most people know. It's just yeah, a payment yeah. method. Like you, it's just exactly like you would use your credit card, except instead of putting your credit card into PayPal or into surfstitch.com you put your credit card into I take Afterpay. Issue straight away with that. I take issue. It's it's and and if if, if Afterpay uh, management here, they would go, "How very dare you, oh, sir?" Oh come on! And it is let not me a say my bit, and then you can trash it. <laughs> anyway, so it's. You put, I oh know, I said you put your card in or you put your debit card in or your your sister's debit card in because you're probably like 16 and you're using it to buy <laughs> alcohol. True story. It was in the papers. Um, well, okay, so it's, a, it's a payment method. Where anyway, you pay and then the payments come out over like six weeks. And if your sister doesn't have the money in her bank account, then she gets a fee every time she fails to pay it. But if she does, then she gets to spread her payments over six weeks. And the only way that that would be useful is if she didn't have the money in this week, but she's going to get paid over the next six weeks and can afford it. 
Can you give a non-millennial description, Matthew? Yeah, so... <laughs> no, yeah. he can't. He's also an adult on the phone. I know. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Damn it. Um, yeah, so it's a payment method that uh, you pay for it and then you make um, fortnightly installments for equal fortnightly installments. It's lay-by. It's lay-by. It's reverse lay-by, mm. actually, because you get the goods up front. Mm-hmm. The key point is that it costs you nothing. So there's no interest in this whatsoever. In fact, Afterpay make their money from the retailer, from the merchant, who will pay anywhere between four... Again, they don't... Most, so they money. don't get any late fees at all. <laughs> Wait a second, I'm not done. They pay between 4 and 6%. Now, why would the retailer do that? Because supposedly, Smart. and in fact, the evidence seems to be quite strong on this, they get more sales out of it. So they've got a big incentive to it's it. It's like a race I to the bottom, very, it's like... Every one retailer has it, so then another retailer has to get it, and they all have it. And meanwhile, Afterpay is like, ha ha ha, I get Dude, that, I wanted to get to it. The network effect is massive. But then for all these the retailers guys. just put the price up by 6%, and you're sort of back to where you started. That was my next point. I think, you know, there's, there's no free lunch, right? Out there in finance, and 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 I, I would think that it's some way somehow there's you know this cost is being built into it somehow. But the point is, it facilitates extra sales. People have been going gangbusters for it. Um, these guys have just absolutely exploded. They were a $165 million company when they listed. Um, now they're worth $2.3 billion, I want to say. Um, their revenue is growing at an incredible rate. Um, unbelievable. Kim Kardashian tweeted out today <laughs> that you know her new fragrance is available on Afterpay, and she named it using an account, and shares were up eight percent on the basis of that alone. Was that today? That was today. Um, oh, that's a that's a buy signal. We're recording. <laughs> like, oh, forget <laughs> your thumb suck. That's enough. That's <laughs> yeah. Kim Kardashian. That is all yeah, I approve this uh, this this measure. The it, Kim Kardashian. The, the Kardashian. So look, I mean, we have we have butchered this so terribly. We are we are meandering all over the place. But let's let, let me let's bring us back on track. It's a new payment platform. It's incredibly popular. It's had phenomenal success in Australia. I think the majority of online sales in Australia are now done here. Very very sexy. Very very exciting. They decided, like a lot of Australian success stories, hey, let's go overseas and do that. There. The best yeah. part of that yeah. meandering explanation is that I'm pretty sure 90% of the people already know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's one of them who understood. For anyone but, who's still But listening. the business model, they that, that 5% thing people might miss, that's that's how they, they make their money. Yeah, that's right? key. That's and, the, and, the and the late, late fees. fees. And so, apparently about yeah. 25% of their revenues last year were in late fees. Alone. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, so it's quite quite a big amount. Um, uh, so yes, the US. The let's, US, let's bring the US is... I actually wrote it down, but I... So I believe they've signed up, the customers have already signed up. They have about 900 retailers in the US and the addressable potential kind of gross um, transaction volume from them is actually bigger. Just the retailers have signed up if they had it all. Yep. It's bigger than the entire online apparel or the entire apparel market in Australia. In Australia. I think that's what they said. The US market, here I found it, 15 times the size of the Aussie market. They're yeah. also launching into the UK, which is I think the third largest retail market in the world. So yeah, so I think we should touch a little, dig into that business model thing because that's why I, uh, Claude and I both looked at it very closely. I won't speak for Claude, but for me, it was, I dug into the business model very deeply, mm. quite early in the story. Um, and at that point, uh, they were charging around 2.8% to the merchants and they were having um, losses from late payments, yep. which effectively meant it didn't matter how much they grew, they were never going to be profitable in mm. my view, mm. or they'd need to be many billions yeah. just to even... I remember looking at those numbers revenue. with you at the same yeah. time. We spoke to the CEO who seemed quite nice, but mm-hmm. it, it didn't quite... 
allay my concerns about that either. Yeah. So, but what's changed is they've increased how much they're charging quite a lot. They have pricing power. They have pricing power. So they've taken that two point eight percent up to four percent on average last year. And as Andrew said, for some of the newer ones, it's up to seven percent. Up to Holy seven, there moly. you go. I read that so, uh, yeah, so on average last year, I think it was four, but yeah. it's been increasing in Australia. I think in the US, it's a bit lower because mm-hmm. it's a new market Training. and, and yep. so forth. Yep. But that is the difference. That's That's been yeah, the that's key, so key difference that it, the, the unit economics Can I actually c- become quite a trend. Dig into that because it's a really interesting model. So, so what it is, let's say that um, they borrow, make it nice and easy, they borrow $100 off uh, a bank and they're probably paying, what, six, seven percent on that? Um, now they're only charging, let's call it 4% on that. The reason that they're able to make such great money is that because this credit is issued over such an extraordinarily short period of time, eight weeks or so. Six weeks. Six weeks. Six weeks. <laughs> Split the difference, seven weeks. And it's not because they're, anyway. Oh, yeah, doesn't matter. The legislation, the, that the loophole that they have sl- sailed through in terms of not having to do credit checks and all that sort of stuff is six weeks. Okay. So six weeks. And so you can take that $100 and you can lend it out multiple times throughout the year. So you're getting that, you you have to annualize that all out. So they're borrowing money at a certain rate, but they're lending that out on an annualized basis at a much, much higher rate. Yeah, they turn over the capital. Um, and, you know, we baked that in when we looked at it back then. Oh, sure that, you did, yeah. The difference is how much that's, that, um, yeah. that upside well, that's a, has That's increased. a good insight. and It is a good insight, yeah. I think a lot of it's like the first comeback that you hear from people that talk about the risk of, of their capital is how fast they can turn it over. Yeah. Is there a risk uh, that they're, they're lending sort of walk away themselves if they were to get into trouble yeah absolutely so so that's the so the the big um, it's a very capital hungry business because they're taking all the risk of those payments right there's a reason that it's very attractive for all these merchants is because A you bring more business but B you take all of the credit risk so merchant gets the money up front and online sales it's a fraud returns all the stuff well returns can be part of Mm -hmm. that but um, like just just blatant fraud where you get chargebacks is yeah. a very big cut like it you know can be up to half a percent so that's like a very big loss and um they're taking all that plus all the risk that a credit card company might normally take so that um that risk has a value and that's what they're capturing but then the, the funding for all that as you're saying needs to continuously happen so to fund this growth they have to have you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of fresh capital being made yeah. available um, and that's definitely been the case it's been possible the risk that I think we all saw was if that funding dried up at any point the business could have a heart attack effectively yeah. in terms so, of the sales that they're actually funding I think it's expected to be what 3 billion or something this year and like yeah I think it was run rating at 3 billion as of the last quarter Right. so it's going to be much more than that this so, year. so they really require a lot of um, and look lenders you know, they're, they're fair weather friends right they'll be there whenever there's good money to be made but I guess it's a risk that people point out and it's one that I think we'd be remiss not to discuss because one thing that you see with these types of businesses is that they do extremely well in the good times but if things uh, get a little bit tough they can turn south really quickly yeah because there's a multiplier effect right so things turn south people stop shopping as much so you just have a a, a straight downfall in revenue in Mm -hmm. that sense but also people stop paying their bills so you have higher you know bad debts Um, you have less funding available at the same time because Mm -hmm. no one wants to lend particularly to the most at risk part of the value chain um, yeah, so it's a multiplier effect. All three things start happening against you. And as a, as a share price, obviously, your multiple contracts at the same time. I'm going to throw in the afterpay uh, retort to that. Um, and so, again, I'm, I'm just sort of doing the whole devil's advocate thing. But they would say, look, we have extraordinarily rich database of users. 
Uh, we've got extremely good data on all of these these kinds of things. There's a law of large numbers that comes. They, they, they basically take an actuarial type approach and they, they can put some pretty smart and reasonable maths behind all of this to sort of say, yeah, I know, there are going to be some people who've, who, who, who um, rig the system. There are going to be some people who don't pay. That's all baked into the model. In fact, the more people use it, the better insights they have. And that's, in fact, a very strong competitive advantage itself, not to imagine, not, not, not to mention an off-balance sheet asset, I would, I would, I would argue. Um, and so they're getting better and better at ma managing that. In fact, their net transaction losses have actually been heading down a little bit. Yeah, that I mean, might just be fortuitous short-term movement, or maybe it's maybe it's a sign of them being able to you know very smartly manage that. That I mean that that thin margin was what had kept me away originally, but I yeah. think that has improved dramatically. I'd say I I think I measured the transaction losses slightly differently to the way that they did. Um, maybe I just take a more conservative approach, but I think generally that is the trend that's been going. Um, yeah, so I think that there's there's truth to that. It's just, it's there's a, a certain economic scenario, like a recession, yes. which we haven't had obviously haven't had. for yeah. almost 30 years. Yep. Um, that kind of would, would give pause for thought. I think a lot of people now are saying, don't worry about that because the US is there and mm. the US economy has grown extremely strongly. Yeah. Um, but obviously there can be a recession in two markets at once. As Absolutely. And it's not as if the, the US will have a recession yeah. at some point, right? So there's the other. The other risk that we, we need to talk about, which is the one that comes up all the time too, is the regulatory risk. So we know that there's a Senate inquiry into them at the moment. ASIC last year started looking into them. Well, I believe that report is going to be issued next month mm -hmm. or so. Um, and the the broad they tend they tend to get lumped in with like the pay uh, payday lenders and this sort of um, uh, other financing industry sort of outside the major banks as well. So there's a bit of fear that the regulators might sort of say, listen, you might say that you claim you charge no interest and the rest of it, but there's some pretty damning figures uh, that are out there. Just looking in the AFR today. And this article was talking a bit about a Mozo survey on Afterpay. It did a thousand, um, surveyed a thousand different Australians from different age groups and locations, found that 44% of respondents were using Afterpay to buy necessities like food and furniture, 30% admitted to having concealed their Afterpay spending from a partner or parent, and that a lot of people who use Afterpay have debts elsewhere. Um, and then, in, in other words, this is something that also needs to be regulated. Do you guys, Claude, you haven't, you've been quiet for a little bit. Do you see regulatory risk as something to be worried about? So I don't think that regulatory risk will sort of sink the company now because it's so ingrained that it's sort of like it's walked through the gap. And now if and most likely when it is more appropriately regulated, it's still established in there. It's still charging its cut from all these retailers. So it'll probably be fine as a business. But uh, from a social perspective, yes, I absolutely do think it should be regulated. Actually, a big part of the reason why... I have not owned shares in Afterpay is because I don't feel comfortable with the business model. I look for businesses like Nanosonics that create something that helps people. That nebulize. I think that <laughs> only the most... I think it's almost a facetious argument to argue that Afterpay helps people by allowing you to defer payments of like small thing consumer goods online that you don't really need. It's not really doing you any favour. It's, it's a short-term favour for long-term pay. I think that you often hear shareholders defend the uh, sort of late fee limit uh, by saying, oh, there's a limit on how much they're charged. It's $10. So mm. for a small transaction over, I'm reading from the website here, for each order below $40, a maximum of one $10 late fee may be applied per order. For each over order over $40 or above, sorry, the total late fees are capped at 25% of the original order or $68, whichever is less. Mm. So 
essentially, if you're talking about somebody who is using it for fairly small transactions and then starts defaulting on those, if they've bought, say, three things on Afterpay, they're going to end up paying um, basically 25% more for those goods. Afterpay say that 78% of customers have never paid a late fee, which is another way of saying close to a quarter of customers have paid a late yeah, so, fee. Yeah, so 20% have, and they're the people that probably really need Afterpay. But here's let's just unpack this late fee thing. Because for payday lenders, they are capped, I think it's around 26% a year in mm. terms of what they can charge in interest. But for Afterpay, they're going to charge you um, 25% of your transaction value in a late fee and they're going to get that off you as quickly as possible. So they're not, it's not 25% in a year and you can pay a year back and you can pay a year later. Mm. It's 25% as quickly as we can get it out of your bank account. Mm -hmm. And the reality is if you go and look on like the sort of Afterpay obsession and we love Afterpay and all of these groups in Facebook, you can see that for some people, they need to find a shop that has Afterpay because they're not going to be able to buy the item otherwise. Mm -hmm. And what you've done with Afterpay is just like you would with if you got your Amex, you can spend, you know, if you get paid $4,000 a month, you can spend $4,000 on your Amex and then you can pay it off once a month and never pay interest on your Amex. And you've got that $4,000 float that you've just gotten there and by bringing forward your pay by one month at the expense of Amex, that's what people are doing with Afterpay. They're bringing forward their pay by a, a few weeks, but then they get in this cycle where they keep on needing to use Afterpay for the next thing and the next thing because they've brought forward their pay and they never catch up. Mm. And so you could end up defaulting on Afterpay uh, payments several times a year because it's six weeks. Mm. You, you know, hypothetically, it's, quite possible for five times you might pay a 25% penalty five times mm. um, in a year. So so it's a legitimate so concern that the regulators have. Yeah, there's a lot of people that use it responsibly and it's fine, yep. but there's a certain group that could be at risk, just like, I guess, with many any financial lending and we don't, And because cards. they're growing so quickly, it's hard to really tell where the profit margin's coming in. But, you know, let's... I think that it's quite likely that, you know, if they had to give back all of those late fees, then their share price would be a lot lower. Yeah. Okay. So, man, we could dig so much further into Can this. Can I just drop a stat? Oh, yeah, please. Which is just uh, to the point Claude touched on. So, in the US, they did a survey of um, to see how many households would be able to cover an unexpected $1,000 expense. Yeah, right. And 61% of American households couldn't cover that from savings. I wouldn't be surprised if Australia was a thousand dollars. I think Australia is much better. So Australia oh, really? is the other way. It's like, oh, um, okay. yeah, 60% or something could okay. cover. But yeah, pretty pretty dire straight. Um, yeah, and I guess the, the pro argument um, would be that Afterpay might be a better method than other alternatives but I, you know i'll let i'll let they, people decide say, i mean they, 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 they will say thing. that they reject 30 percent of transactions yeah. they they will say that there is that you know debt cannot accrue Compared to a pay they will shut it down it'll be at a small amount so there's all so again anyone listening to this and who's got afterpay shares will have a firm view one way or the other so hopefully i think if they have afterpay shares of, they'll have the view that it's like it's a great thing or at least a, a decent thing and i don't think it's that bad a thing either i just 
I think that it is hurting some people. Yeah, I, I, I don't doubt that. So for me, I actually look at this and, you know, I know you were talking about before, Matt, that Nanasonic's on 15 times sales was pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. This is on 25 times sales, yeah. you know? So this is... this is uh, uh, so, And that's that's now after a 40% fall in, in yeah. share price. So the question that we need to really end on here is, I sh- we should have said none of us... Is it, Am I correct in saying none of us own Afterpay None shares? of us currently own. I wish I did at buy the time them a year of ago because they've more than doubled, but, <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> But I am. I Matt's going to run off and buy some now. <laughs> I have to admit, after sort of He's doing a bit of prep today, I'm starting to get a little bit more interested in it because the the bull case here, which I don't think is too unreasonable, is the fact that the runway here is massive. They've got such great traction in the US. There's such a long way to run. The UK itself is also big. One one of the things that could easily you could you could quite easily paint a picture of this that you know in five and ten years time it is orders of magnitude larger than what it is today um uh and that really shares really aren't that expensive when you when you sort of yeah. look forward on, on that basis so i guess the i mean we're talking about price to sales the the company grew revenue 390 percent last year 390 so, percent, and it's yeah already at um you know pretty large revenue scale yep. so the fact that they're able to keep growing at extremely high rates is why it's so attractive and that is to likely folks. to continue i would yeah i mean yeah. not at 390 percent probably sure. but you know um and so that's that's what's attractive i think the other thing that i touched on what i'd missed before about the margin increasing um the other thing was just how easily that how quickly they can grow so yeah. although it's a capital heavy business mm. it's not capital heavy in terms of the time or time heavy i guess to acquire a customer so yep. it's a relatively um quick and easy integration and once you integrate it's an extremely fast ramp because everyone checking out sees this option yep. so that means that you can grow explosively fast which is something that i hadn't really factored in i kind of did if it took a couple of years to reach a billion and they yeah. reached three billion within two years yeah, yeah um so yeah so to me I'm, I'm kind of interested um for those for those those reasons but yeah. i really need to understand the risks and kind of model it out. That's just my style. So yeah. um, it's it's a fairly complicated one to think about. I looked at it a bit on the weekend, so I'm still doing a bit more work on it. But it's definitely hard. more interested now than when it was at $23. And I think the just tracking how the US entry is going is pretty interesting. And I think if you are a shareholder, um, you don't need us to tell you this, but or you know you you are a, a long term bull. I think that what you just have to acknowledge and accept and make peace with is this going to be a crazy ride we've seen days you sort of look in the morning and the thing's up five percent and you go and check in the afternoon and it's down six percent it is just really, super, when super something's volatile. growing i think matt's touched on this before about how difficult it is for us to understand exponential growth i think when something is growing so quickly and it's not profitable mm. there are so many unknowns that you just see this volatility as a byproduct of the fact that it is hard to value and, it, and it's so sentiment takes a lot of control for what it's worth. I actually, I think it looks pretty decent. I would, if I had to choose either to be long or short it, I'd be long it. Mm. I think that it probably looks pretty good. Yeah. I'd, I, I'd say the same. I wouldn't be shorting it. Yeah. I'm no way. I might sit this one out safe in the knowledge that fund managers I, in, I invest with have got their eye on it. Mm. Uh, simply because, because I have doubts because I don't feel great about it, I know myself and everyone should have a look at themselves and their own strengths and weaknesses as an investor. One feature of my investing is that for a stock that I feel great about, like Prometicus or Nanosonics in terms of what they do, I'm quite capable of holding through the ups and downs without it bothering me. If I have second guesses about the impact that they're having on the world, I, I just I don't yeah. have the fortitude to hold when... 
it seems like my thesis might be wrong or the share price is going down and and those things those factors come in as well it's just too much for me so yeah it's usually better for me to sit these ones out i'm really glad that we only chose to talk about two companies <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna well put that the out there because you know god help us if we decided to do three gents gents uh, as always it's been a great privilege and uh, very insightful thank you you're so welcome much for Andrew, your time. you're welcome I, thank you so much <laughs> thank, thank you, you for having us andrew thank you. as always um remember that uh, we appreciate a bit of uh, social media love uh, a like or two or do you like on itunes i don't use itunes do you, do you like on i iTunes think you could leave you? us a rating you a five star ratings. rating and a little <laughs> review ratings. would be great really what we need <laughs> We need, we need is, but Spot also, the millennials. Are we got our last. I don't think many of our listeners use SoundCloud, but I use yeah. it. It's great. You can like things on SoundCloud. That's SoundCloud. right. You can indeed. So please do that as well. As always, we'd love to hear your comments, suggestions, feedback as well. Uh, you can always reach us on Twitter if you would like to do so. Claude, your Twitter handle is Claude D Walker. Claude D Walker. Nice, Matthew. At Matt Joss. Nice. J-O-A-S-S. Correct. And, and I'm at Sage Simeon. And as we mentioned last week... Yeah, have we received an email yet? I don't know. Does anyone We have received an email. Yes. Matt checks yeah. it. Okay. Can you share? Um, yeah, it was an email is? asking about some of the nitty-gritty details of Pushpay. So ah, I, I responded well, a little. But yeah, we could, we could oh, touch on that in the future. I'd be interested in your response. Yeah, sure. okay. Get into those nitty-gritty And that details. email address is... Three Wise Monkeys Podcast. Is that like email. the and number that's all, three? No, it's all letters. T H R E E Wise Monkeys Podcast at gmail.com. Andrew, do you want to play us out? Do we, do we need anything more? <laughs> um, by this stage, if my editing's any good, the music is already playing and people <laughs> right. have long since, since, since switched off. Right. But guys, thank you very much, and we will be back next week with another episode of The Three Wise Thanks Monkeys. for listening. Thank you. Bye bye. Freestyler bump. Rock a muck a dome bomb bomb.